This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by the all-new 2024 Lexus GX. You ever pick up a piece of gear that inspired you to up your game? My first full suspension mountain bike was like this. So plush and fun, it changed riding a bike from something I thought I'd never forget how to do to something I realized I wanted to do better. The all-new Lexus GX is an exceptionally capable rig that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. With available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, and multi-terrain select, the all-new GX is rugged on the outside, refined on the inside. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Or go to Lexus.com slash GX to learn more. From Outside Magazine, this is the Outside Podcast. Hey everybody, a quick kind of awkward public announcement. We have been killing it lately. The Outside Podcast has been around for about eight years, and I don't know that I've ever been more excited about what we're making than I am right now, about the stories we've been doing and the stuff we have coming up. It's all coming together, and we want people to know. So, I just want to plant the idea that if you've heard something you like, or you hear something good in the next few months, or if a story that we do just makes you think of someone in your life, take out your phone and text that person the episode. Just say, this made me think of you, in the link. That's it. Don't ever think it. Maybe it's our episode about Taylor Swift and the crazy aerobic benefits of singing while running. Do you know someone who likes Taylor Swift? I thought you might. They'd probably like to hear from you about that. Or maybe you know some new parents who are also athletes, and they've been worried about how on earth they're going to get back to running. Send them a link to our story on ultra runner Tyler Green and how he got way faster while raising an infant. Is someone in your life training for their first marathon? Send them the anti-bunk diet about fueling for endurance events. You will, quite possibly, save their race. I'm not kidding. Maybe you know someone who plays golf. Last week's episode about speed golf could save someone from a lifetime of playing golf slowly. If you know which podcast app they use, you can generate a link and send it to them in that app. If you don't, Apple Podcasts and Spotify are probably the safest bets. People like to know that other people are thinking about them. This week's episode reminds me of a lot of people. My wife, my friend Blake, my dad's friend in Alaska, Don. A lot of people from the Midwest for some reason. The story comes from Aaron Scott, and as we were making it, we kind of decided that the less you knew going into it, the better. So if it makes you think of anyone, remember, it's just, this made me think of you and the link. I'd really appreciate it. Here's Aaron. Liz Cotrill is afraid of the ocean. I don't go in the ocean. I'm fearful for some reason about not knowing what's underneath me or in the ocean. She doesn't have a problem with pools or lakes. It's all about the murky, bottomless abyss that is the ocean. There's a word for this kind of fear, thalassophobia. 
Greek for fear of the sea. But for Liz, it's even more specific. It's about the creatures that lurk in the sea. Sharks and different (laughs) critters, like you don't know what they are. Fear of sea creatures is called megalohydrothalassophobia. And certainly, you don't have to look far to see that it has been with humans probably since we first set out on a boat. Kraken, Leviathan, Sirens, Kalupalik, Jaws, Megalodon. Our imaginations have filled the ocean with monsters waiting to drag us to our doom. I don't know where, when it started or what it may have happened to cause me to just not like being in it. Maybe it's something I saw on TV or watched on TV. You know, all the things that there are about what's in the ocean. Or maybe it was the swimmer who was attacked by a shark in the town where she lived. Those kinds of things, I think, over the years, hearing that kind of stuff. And I said, I'm not going in the ocean again. (laughs) Liz is far from alone. There aren't any good figures for how many folks experience thalassophobia. But there's a Reddit subchannel about it with 1.6 million followers. So these big Greek words that boil down to a fear of scary things that can eat you underwater is all you need to know about Liz to understand her response when her good friend Julie McSorley told her there were humpback whales swimming in the San Luis Obispo Bay and they should go out and kayak with them. She said to me, "Uh, Liz, I was just out in the ocean with the whales and it's so cool and majestic you got to go, you got to go, you got to go. And I said, oh, I don't think so. Of course, Julie wasn't trying to torment her. She was trying to be a friend because Liz was staying with her at the time. She was going through some heavy-duty times, and I was trying to get her out and about and to do more things and be more risk-taking and that kind of thing. And and so I encouraged her. Julie had gone out the day before with her husband. She'd found kayaking near the feeding humpback whales to be miraculous and beautiful, and she thought it could help. You know, the healing power of nature kind of thing. I I just told her, you know, I've never dumped over in a kayak before. They're very safe on the water. And she said, it's okay. Uh, You know, we'll both be together and we'll just go out for a little while so you can see the whales. Finally, she twisted my arm enough to where I decided to go. (laughs) So 8 a.m. the next morning, November 1st, 2020, they headed down to the bay and carried Julie's double kayak into the shallow water. And we both got in, and it felt strange, and I just said, okay, here we go. San Luis Obispo Bay is postcard Central California coast. Rolling hills of light rock and golden grass rise from the shore. Several long piers run into the bay, where people can walk or drive out to restaurants and viewpoints. The sky was blue, and on the horizon, the almost flat waters were punctuated by the spray of whales, like little exclamation points. We could see them way off in the distance, past the pier. We could see them out there. So they started heading out with a couple other kayakers and paddleboarders. As they got closer, Liz passed her paddle to Julie and started filming with a phone she had strung around her neck in a waterproof case. Where are they? The whales weren't exactly putting on a show, like you'd see on, say, a whale-watching boat in Hawaii. There wasn't a lot of breaching, where they propel themselves into the air and crash back down. They were feeding, so they were on the move, zigzagging across the bay, chasing schools of fish. Julie and Liz could track them because they'd surfaced to breathe. 
Whales are often referred to as gentle giants, especially whales like humpbacks that have plates of brushy baleen in place of teeth. But I have to wonder if that's because most of their feeding happens underwater, and they usually don't eat us, because there is nothing gentle about humpback whales feeding. First, the whales swim circles underneath a school of fish, what's called a bait ball, while blowing bubbles. This creates almost a corral of air, like a ring of death trapping the fish. Then the whales swim up through the fish, attacking from the depths like the monsters of our legends. We hear this crackling noise, and that crackling noise is those fish come jumping out of the water because the whale goes underneath and opens its mouth really wide and pushes that that ball of fish up toward the surface. From Liz and Julie's view, a calm patch of water suddenly comes alive like it's boiling violently. But it's actually thousands of fish leaping into the air, fleeing for their lives. Then the whales erupt out of the water, giant jaws gaping, throats expanding out like balloons. There's two of them. Oh my God. Okay, we can stop. They rise far enough out of the water that the fish have no chance to escape before closing their mouths and sinking back down. The whales then push all the water out of their mouths, capturing the fish and krill and other delicious morsels in their brush-like baleen before swallowing them all in a slurry, like a fish-scale soup. Coming out of nowhere... It's easy to see how feeding whales might have created legends of sea monsters like Leviathan. Their sheer size is overwhelming. (gasps) And the thing about humpback whales is that when they're on the hunt, they set the table for a lot of other animals. I see the seals. Out on the bay, it's full-on nature channel feeding frenzy. Look at all the birds. Maybe they're going to go over there. There are seabirds, otters, dolphins, sea lions. Look at the seals. The bay is full of wildlife, all swimming and flying around Liz and Julie, feasting on the fish that have attracted the whales. Hi there, guy. Liz talks to them, almost like they're long-lost pets. Come here, hi. In other words, it seems the healing power of nature is in full swing. Then when the whales sink below the surface, they leave behind a smooth patch of water called a footprint. It looks like an oil slick almost. And so what we would do, this was my theory, I didn't know at the time it wasn't that great of a theory, but what I would do was when the whales went down and we saw that slick, we would kayak over toward that slick so we would be within visual distance of them, but not right on top of them. Julie and Liz started following the whales, paddling from one patch of calm water to the next. We followed them for over an hour, um, just watching them, and then we'd see other whales in the distance. That tail just came up. And there were probably 10 to 12 people out there with us. Chasing whales. Almost too close for comfort, but we're chasing them anyway. As they get closer and closer to the whales, the video shifts a little from nature documentary to nature thriller. Something's going to happen here. Because you never know where the whale is going to appear. Okay. Where are they? The jump scare is the whale blowing off camera. Oh, my God. Liz reacts a little like she's in the Blair Witch Project. She turns the camera and tries to locate the whale, hoping it's not too close. He was close, huh? 
Oh my god, how many are there? At this point, Liz was paddling a fine line between excitement and anxiety. I was vacillating back and forth between the two, a little bit nervous. Okay. I don't go in the ocean. I need to know what's in there, I need to see. <laughs> and she wasn't alone. One of the paddleboarders traveling with them mentions he's freaked out. That's all right, you can come with us. I get freaked out too, it's the first time I've ever even done this. But Julie would, you know, promise me things like, we'll just slow down and stop, and, you know. So I got more comfortable more comfortable the further out we got. And then, then we stopped and sat there. And <clears throat> it was really nice because at that point, you could see them close enough to what they're doing, whether they're breaching or just going by, you know. Uh, so it was surreal and enchanting and majestic. And I just thought, wow, you know, this is something that I will never experience again, probably, just to be in the midst of this many whales. There were a lot of whales. And... Um, just to t- just to challenge myself to do it in the first place, you know, get past my fear of the ocean a little bit. Facing your fear is generally viewed as a good thing. It's how you grow. It may be a self-help cliche, but it's also an established psychological treatment for phobias called exposure therapy. The idea is to overcome something you fear, you need to expose yourself to it in small but increasing doses. So this, then, is the sound of Liz growing, just like Julie hoped. <gasps> I got it! But it's hard, because what makes whales so surreal and majestic, to quote Liz, is also what makes them so scary. It's their size. An adult humpback can stretch 50 feet long and weigh 80,000 pounds. Basically, the size and weight of a loaded semi-truck trailer. So if a whale were to breach up out of the water and then fall on your kayak, it would be like having a semi-trailer dropped on your face. Four sailors say they're lucky to be alive. Their once-in-a-lifetime trip to French Polynesia nearly ended in disaster when a whale sank their boat. Terrifying close call today when a whale struck a fishing boat off of the coast of Plymouth, Massachusetts. A boater captured the scary moments as the southern right whale leapt from the water and crashed onto the boat. Every year or so, there's a story in the news about people dying after a whale overturns or crashes into their boat. Google whale versus boat. You don't want to be on team boat. Oh, holy crap. Are they coming right here? I was concerned that one would come up right beside us because they're huge and they're massive. So you wouldn't want to encounter one really at that point. So I was nervous about that happening. She was right to be nervous, because then it happened. A whale surfaced maybe five feet in front of their kayak. This close, the whale's back cresting above the water isn't just a sliver in the distance. It's at eye level. It's huge. It goes back under the water, and the next time it rises, it's right in front of the next kayak over. It blows a big spout of air and water that showers the nearby kayak. That poor guy in the green. From Liz's point of view, it looks like the other kayak is actually sliding off the top of the whale. And then the second whale rises right next to that. Oh my god. They both pause on the surface and turn and roll over, and one raises its flipper and fluke above the water like it's waving at the people it just noticed in its path. <laughs> 
I feel like by this moment in Liz and Julie's adventure, most listeners have probably found themselves divided into two camps. One camp is thinking, that is so freaking cool, you got so close to a whale, you're wiping its snot off your sunglasses. The other camp is thinking, what on earth are you doing? Kayaking that close to a whale is stupid and dangerous, and like, aren't there laws against that? For her part, Liz fell towards the what-on-earth-are-you-doing camp, minus worrying about the laws meant to protect whales. She didn't know about that part. I mean, seeing the whales floating right in front of her kayak, the fear was taking over. Playing out in her head was whale big, boat small. That scared me. You're right here. Julie reassures her. The boat can't tip over. It can't tip over. So at this point, they decide to stay put, do the responsible thing, and watch the two whales swim off in front of them. Then a different whale surfaces a little ways to their left. How did that one get over there? But it crosses in front of them, a ways off. And we saw the one whale, one of the whales that we had tracked. It was closer to us. It was coming up, and then we couldn't find the second one, so we kept looking for it. Then suddenly, the water comes alive, like it's starting to boil. A bunch of fish came out of the water, crackled against the kayak, sounded like broken glass. And at that moment, I I knew enough that this isn't good. So I thought, oh my God, something's going to happen. It's going to happen right now. And it did. This whale came up right underneath the boat aside, and it just went straight up out of the water. So Liz was looking to her left and saw a big white wall. She knew it was the whale, but she didn't know it was the bottom, if it was the bottom of the whale or what. But she just saw that huge wall go up next to her, and it just started coming down on us. I stuck my left arm out to like I'm going to ward off a whale, right? So, ah, and I was just scared. I was petrified. And it just felt at that moment like I was just, the whale was just dumping the kayak over in the water. And I knew the whale was going to go deep into the ocean. So I knew it was going to pull us with it. And I didn't know how far down we would be sucked into the ocean. I didn't know how much breath I had because you didn't get a chance to like breathe in, hold your breath. You know, it wasn't like that. It was immediately in the water. So I was concerned about air mostly. How far am I down? How, how far do I have to get to the surface? You know, how do I get up? While Julie thought the whale had breached and was pushing them down into the water, that they stood the chance of drowning under its weight, Liz had a different view. We had slipped out of the kayak, and we were both in the whale's mouth. And um, it felt like a tidal wave, but it just felt so turbulent, so, you know, all over the place that I didn't know what was up and what was down. My first thought was, I'm going to die. The video is chaos. The camera tumbles over and over in a spin cycle of bubbles and colors, 
flashes of dark green water, yellow kayak, and silver sardines everywhere. But what's really terrifying is watching what happened from the vantage point of the other kayakers. Their cameras captured this dark whale rising up, its bottom jaw like a giant bucket encircling Liz and Julie, and then its top jaw clamping down. As it sinks back under the water, all that's left on the surface is the upside-down kayak. After the break, how two women end up in a whale's mouth, from the whale's perspective. Brought to you by Lexus. There are things you can own that do much more than their stated functions. Things like a professional-grade kitchen range or an aerodynamic carbon fiber bike. The truth is, exceptional things inspire you to do exceptional things. They push you to reach higher, to go farther. To this select list, we add the all-new Lexus GX. You don't buy it just for the life you have, but also for the life you want to have. Its exceptional capability will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed, making plans that were once outside your scope. But as much as the GX challenges you, it also spoils you. Its intuitive technology and luxurious features mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Live up to it. The all-new Lexus GX. In any given day of feeding, an adult humpback eats thousands of pounds of fish, krill, and other seafood. It's easy in this moment to think Liz and Julie will wind up a small bite in the day's haul. But it turns out that's impossible. It's not that humpbacks can't fit us in their mouths. That's no problem. Humpback whale mouth is actually quite large. Uh, imagine something big enough to engulf a whole sofa. So if you were lying on a sofa, you could easily fit inside a humpback whale's mouth because the whole sofa would fit in there. It's big enough to probably engulf a small car. This is Joy Rydenberg. She's a comparative anatomist at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, who specializes in whales. I called her up for a little anatomy lesson. And when the throat pleats are extended, it can actually have enough volume that it's about the same volume as the whole whale itself. So the whale doubles its volume once it takes all that water into those expanded throat pleats. But the throat? Therein lies the problem. Or I guess, in the case of two women in the mouth of a whale, the saving grace. In a whale, that passageway is very, very small. In a humpback whale in particular, I could barely get my arm into that opening. You might be asking, why is Joy sticking her arm down a whale throat? Well, as a comparative anatomist, one of the big questions she has about whales is how have these giant mammals adapted to live underwater? Part of what I'm examining is the throat region of these animals because I want to understand their swallowing uh, passageway, how they can manage air and not choke on the water while they're swallowing at the same time because these two passageways are separated from each other in a very interesting way. So I spent a lot of time in the throats of whales trying to understand that anatomy. And that involves cutting open whales that have died of natural causes. Because I have stuck my arm down the throat of a whale. That's about all I can get down the throat of a whale. I personally probably could not get my whole body down there if I tried to. 
So when you talk about the, you know, a Jonah story, can Jonah be swallowed by a whale? Well, swallowed is the part I have trouble with. Jonah could fit in the mouth of a whale, but Jonah would never have been able to be swallowed into the swallowing passage of a whale. I asked Joy to give us this story from the whale's perspective. What would the whale have seen? So it's hard for me to imagine that a whale has great visibility when it's on its feeding grounds because of the nutrient-rich waters. Humpback whales follow schools of fish when they're feeding. And fish like dark, murky waters because they're full of plankton and other tiny critters. Basically, fish food. Now, it might be able to see the mass of a large bait ball when it's silhouetted against the light of the sky at the surface above. That's probably what it's aiming for when it's opening its mouth to engulf that bait ball. I think it would be very hard if the kayak was in the middle of a bait ball for the whale to distinguish that there was some other object in the middle of a big shadow that it sees as prey. And so it would be just as much a surprise for the whale as uh, our kayakers. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I don't think that any whale in its right mind would try to engulf a kayak. That would be kind of like me going through a, a smorgasbord and saying, I purposely want to eat this big rock that someone left on the table. Why would I do that? <laughs> that's that's going to break my teeth. It's never going to fit down my throat. Why would I want that? I think that the whale would definitely not seek out a kayak to engulf, uh, but I can definitely see it accidentally catching a kayak inside a bait ball because it can't see the kayak. The story of Jonah aside, humans don't often end up in the mouths of whales. A diver in South Africa spent a few seconds dangling out of a bride's whale mouth before being released. And a lobster diver in Maine claimed to have spent a number of seconds traveling in the mouth of a whale. But the accounts are incredibly rare. And maybe that's because most whale watchers keep a more respectable distance than the folks in San Luis Obispo. The government says you're supposed to stay at least 100 yards away. Approaching closer can be harassment, which is illegal. But people are not alone in wanting to be close to these feeding leviathans. And we're certainly not alone in being amuse-bouches for cetaceans. There's an amazing photo online of a startled sea lion looking like a summer sausage in the mouth of a humpback. And photos of seagulls and other birds in the mouths of whales, including at least one of a wing sticking out between whale lips like a mangled toothpick. So if you're at a picnic eating your food and, and a bug lands on your food and it goes into your mouth because you didn't see it or a fly flies into your mouth, it would not be a, a pleasant experience, but you might accidentally swallow it if it's small enough. Uh, but we're not talking about something that small. If we're talking about something more like a giant cockroach landed on your pie, you'd probably notice that and want to spit that out. That's not something that's going to accidentally go down your throat which is exactly what the whale chose to do. So the, the life jacket itself took us up. And I popped out of the water and I looked to my right and Liz popped up next to me. The whale was still sitting there right underneath us. And then the other whale that was with it came up right on the other side of us. In one of those pictures, I don't know, it, you can see that there's a whale that's right by my face. And I didn't, I didn't even remember that. I didn't until the picture. And then this gentleman who was a off-duty firefighter was on a paddleboard and he paddled over to us. And his first question 
was, are you okay? And then do you have all your limbs? Let me see your legs, all pieces and parts? Yeah. Okay. No, we're all good. All right. Okay. And to me, I was like, what do you mean do I have all my limbs? We just dumped in the water. But to all the people around it, they thought we were dead. Because all they saw was the whale come up and the whale go down and the kayak floating off. And they didn't see it. The people were gone. It was just like gone. And then a few seconds later, we popped up and everybody came over to help us. Everyone had a different view of what happened. And they started to fill in details for the still stunned Liz and Julie. What happened? I don't even know what happened. Oh, he just came up right in. Oh my you, you were in his mouth. You were in his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god! And I didn't. I'm afraid of the ocean. Okay. Oh my god. This is your bravest moment in your life. And at that point, I was in shock. I was completely white. Yeah. Okay. So who wants to get in first? Let's wait for a second. But um, I finally got in, and I was in the, sitting in my spot in the front, and Julie in the back. Liz discovered some fish had ended up in her shirt. Oh, you caught a fish? You caught a fish? Oh, my God. That's afraid of. I know. Well, the thing is, is I saw, I saw the, the, the fish right there, and I went, oh, my God. And I thought for a split second. And um, we sat there for a little bit. You know, tried to recover from that incident. I was numb. And that's when I said to Julie, oh no, we're not going to tip over. We're just going to get in the mouth of a whale instead. She laughed, I laughed. And then we just rode into shore together. You have Within a few hours, videos of their close encounter had gone viral. What started as a peaceful morning of kayaking until a humpback made a splash Harbor officials say two women are lucky to be alive after... CNN made it like the top, one of the top 10 videos of the year, stuff like that. So it, it's been kind of a fun ride. Julie definitely falls into the camp that this was an awe-inspiring brush with nature. If it was my time to be gone, I, I would be gone, right? So it wasn't my, you know, that wasn't what was supposed to happen. So the way it happened, um, it, it was it was more of being at one with nature and the whole experience being so beautiful. And I felt very blessed to be able to experience it. That's one way to look at it. Through facing nature head on, Julie got an experience of a lifetime and Liz conquered her fear. Except she didn't. She hasn't been on the water since, except with a British film crew that wanted to revisit the location for a story. I was in shock. It took a couple of months for me to recover. And it was like, oh my goodness, anything could have happened. So it took me a while to come out of that thinking. Um, now I just have respect for the whale. And uh, he didn't know he was going to encounter a kayak at his mouth at first <laughs> uh, when he came up for his fish, bait ball. Um, but just experiencing that whole thing was now at this time is an experience in my mind that I survived. I reflect on what could have happened sometimes because, you know, it could have been devastating. It could have been devastating. Um, and we were right in the midst of them. So 
This idea that we need to conquer our fear, and all the better if we can do it by embracing nature because nature is healing, a lot of times is a great philosophy. But what if we've taken it too far? What if some fear is good, especially when it comes to nature? I mean, fear is natural. It's an evolutionary response to a world that serves up a million ways to kill us in any given moment. Sure, maybe modern society has blown some fears out of proportion. Our ancestors didn't evolve with the movie Jaws. But I also think about all the visitors to Yellowstone who've been gored by bison or fallen into boiling geysers, or all the bodies that are frozen by the side of the trail on Everest, or all the people who slip off a ledge trying to take a selfie, all because they didn't have enough fear. Luckily, Julie and Liz didn't end up one of those cautionary tales. Other than some bruises on Julie's arm where the whale's mouth came down, they suffered no physical injuries. We don't know about the whale. Joy says a kayak could damage its baleen or jaw. Nonetheless, Liz said she took months to recover psychologically, which raises the question. Maybe they would have been better off listening to Liz's fear, avoiding the water and watching the whales from the pier. Because sometimes the only thing to fear is not fear itself. Sometimes it's a giant from the deep and is coming straight for you. Aaron Scott is a regular contributor to the Outside Podcast. This episode was written and produced by Aaron, with editing by me, Peter Frickwright. Music and sound design by Robbie Carver. The Outside Podcast is made possible by our Outside Plus members. Learn more about all the benefits of membership at outsideonline.com slash podplus.